instead of saying five, they'll say five and a half. And, and there's something in the heart of a child, they're always looking to tomorrow to bring something bigger, something better. They just are certain if they'll make it to the next year of life or the next grade in school that everything is better there. And I think in, in a lot of ways we carry that with us through life where we have a sense that, that if I can just get where it is I want to go, if I can do what it is I want to do, then I'll really be happy, then I'll really be satisfied. And you know, if we're not careful, we will go through life with a mindset that is perpetually disappointed. Sometimes we take no thought of where it is that the Lord has brought us because we only think of where it is we we want to go, and, and although we are to be content with what God has given us, we are not to be complacent with, with the opportunities that lay in the future, and there really is a balance to be had with being grateful for where you are in life, but still being hungry to see more accomplished down the road. This is very much what we're seeing in the life of Joshua so far in our study. God has been so good to Joshua and the children of Israel, and so far in our study, in the narrative, God brought them to the land, he parted the Jordan River, they crossed over on dry ground, and, and they stepped into the land that God had promised them, the land we often call just the promised land. And as they stepped on that land, they, they said a couple things. First of all, thank God for where we are. They appreciated the moment, but they also had a heart that says, we want to possess all of this land that God has promised to us. And so they were thankful for where they were, but they decided to press ahead into the future that God had for them. And of course, if they were going to take over that land, it would require battles. And with the exception of the one battle we, we studied, they began to see victories. And every time they took a step, they noticed there's still another step to be taken. And that's the way it is in life. There's just no place in this life, as long as we're living, where we can stop moving forward and so we've been studying kind of this tension between the appreciation for the moment and what they had and yet a desire to accomplish all that God had for them to accomplish now in our last study and I'll do just a minute of review because I missed last week due to our missions conference in our last study I, I shared a thought with you and the thought was was stated this way a battle won does not mean that the war is won and they'd experienced a victory followed up by a defeat. And, and they had to learn that just because you win a battle in life, you have a breakthrough in life, you have a victory in life, it doesn't mean that that's the way it's going to be. But the follow-up thought to that was this. A battle lost does not mean that all is lost. Joshua, the children of Israel, are similar to us in that sometimes when we have a setback in life, a disappointment in life, we begin to think this is the way it's going to be. My future is going to be horrible. No more good days for me. And we go through a difficult season in life and we come to the conclusion this is how it will be forever. And so they had to learn that, that failure is not final. Now, if you're glad this morning that failure is not final with the Lord, say amen. I'm grateful that God has provisioned us in such a way that when setbacks come, we can actually move forward. Failure is not final. Say to your neighbor this morning, failure is not final. But you've got to know this today. Success also is not final. And some of you have had some, some successes in life, and if we're not careful, just like a failure will lead us to believe that we're never going to go forward, we'll have a success, and we begin to think, I'll never again in my life have the potential of going backwards. 
Now, I know at an emotional level, messages dealing with failure and adversity and hurts and setbacks at an emotional level, it's easier for us to plug into those. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to just hurt my way through life. I want to get a win at some point, all right? And and today, it's imperative. If we're going to study the overall narrative of the life of Joshua, he not only learned how to respond from from the failures in life, the defeats in life, he had to learn how to respond to the victories in life, to the wins. And I want us to think on this today. It's a big thought. It's deserving of our our intention. And, And if you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you to join in standing as we look to Joshua chapter 9 together. Joshua chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in in verse 1. The Bible says, "And And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon. And then we find who these people are again. The Bible speaks of the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. Now let's uh, understand what's happening here. Uh, Joshua is leading the people of God. They, they come in, they cross the Jordan. The Bible makes that point. And in between the Jordan and, and the coast is, is these people. They're living there. And, and so they come together and they say, listen, we've got to do something. We, we've got to fight against these people. We've got to fight against this leader, this man named Joshua. And so the Bible says with one accord, with great unity, they came to oppose Joshua. Verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work wilily. Now, someone told me this morning I mispronunciated that word, okay? Wilily, willily. I'm not sure uh, how to say that word, but how many of you have ever heard of the wily coyote? That's the word, wily. All right, that's what's happening here. These guys, they were wily. That's, that's what the Bible is wanting us to understand. They, they uh, were tricking Joshua, seeking to do so. And the Bible says, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision is dry and moldy. They went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Now, therefore, now remember, when you study the Bible and you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. So they premised everything they're getting ready to say on this. Joshua, we're not from around here. We're from a far away country. All right. We are we're we're not your immediate neighbors here. Therefore, make a league with us. Let's make a treaty. Now, Joshua could not, we know, he could not have made a treaty with them if they were close because he had to conquer the land. So they're deceiving him. Verse 7, And the men of Israel said unto the Hittites, Prayer venture, you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? In other words, how how can we make a league with you? We're we're kind of living in the same area here. We've got some problems. Verse 8, They said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country. Thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did 
in Egypt. Now, again, I'm going to read on, but so far in our study, we have found that Joshua really had a heart's desire. Joshua's heart's desire was that all the people of the earth would know of the name of God. We've seen that. That was a passion in his heart. He wanted everybody to know about God. So here these people come. They say, we're from a far country. And then they're asked again, where are you from? And they said, the second time, we're from a very far country. And the question could have been asked, well, what brings you? And they said, well, we've heard about God. We've heard about your God. Well, that, that would have really got Joshua's attention because Joshua loved God and he wanted people to hear about God. Verse 10, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore, now make ye a league with us. This is our bread. We took hot out of our provision, out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it's dry and it's moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they're, uh, they be rent. And these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Now, I'll, I'll remind you, they didn't take a very long journey. They didn't cook fresh bread for the journey they found old moldy bread they're trying to trick them they didn't put on new clothes new shoes they put on old clothes and old shoes so they could say hey look at how old our clothes are they were new when we started this trip you know and uh they're they're deceiving them verse 14 and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the lord and joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. This was a major blunder that Joshua entered into an alliance with these people. Uh, they deceived him, but isn't it interesting that the Bible told us in verse 14 that they didn't, they didn't seek counsel of the Lord. All right. Now, back as we started reading in verse 1, there was a statement, and, and the Bible said, when all the kings, and then at the end of verse 1, it said, heard thereof. You know, when you win, sometimes word of your success will spread. And it's going to bring some things into your life. And maybe you're winning right now. It'd be good to know. Maybe you're hoping for a, a win in the future. It would be good to know. And, and so we're going to enter into this study today. And I, I think we can be helped and, and we, feel, uh, we can be encouraged. And I, I promise to do this today. I promise to work my very hardest to communicate this truth how many of you will will work with me today we can enter into this study and say god help me all right i'm sure he will lord thank you for your word i thank you for the church i thank you specifically for this church and these people and i pray today that you would help us to grow we need you god uh, we need your help and lord i pray that we would respond to every situation in the right way we respond from from uh, difficult times and, and defeats in life. But I, I do pray, Lord, that when you bless, that we would respond to your blessing in the right way. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. There seems to be a notion in the United States today that if someone is successful, they must have done something horribly wrong, almost criminal. That if someone is, is, has uh, done well and succeeded in one area or another, that probably they were either lucky or they were dishonest to, 
to receive their success. And I've had the opportunity to meet some people that have been successful in a variety of different ways, a variety of different genres in, in life. And I want you to know that what I have discovered by and large is that people who are successful didn't get that way by accident. They got that way by knowing where they wanted to go, by developing a strategy or a path that would lead them from where they were to where they wanted to go, and, and an unrelenting commitment to work very hard, very diligent to overcome the obstacles when they've come into their lives. Successful people have to know the goal, they have to know how to get there, and they have to be willing to work and study and, and, and do all the things necessary to go to that point. Joshua was a man like that. God had identified the place that he wanted Joshua to go. And God had put a strategy into Joshua's mind that he began to employ. And his strategy was very interesting. As God identified the land he wanted them to possess, he had Joshua enter into the land, if you'll recall, very near to the nation of Jericho. That's almost the middle point in the land that God had set aside. We might have thought, well, start in the top and work your way down or start at the bottom and work your way up. But Joshua said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to divide and then conquer. I'm going to come in the middle, cutting in half the number of, of enemies we'll have to face at any one time. And so he came in in the middle of the nation and he worked his way south and God began to give them victory after victory after victory and some great things were accomplished in the south. They were experiencing success in the south. As things in the south began to come to a conclusion, the natural place to go after that would be to move north. Well, there were people in the north, and they began to hear of the success of Joshua. And they weren't very fond of the idea of Joshua and the children of Israel coming into their part of the world and, and entering into conflict with them. And so the kings in the northern part of this land that God had set aside for his people said, we've got to do something about this guy. And it was personal. It's always interesting to me. They said, we've got to go fight Joshua. And those people too. They identified the leader. And it's good as a leader to know this. There are some certain responsibilities that come along with leadership. And one of them is you kind of have a target in a unique way. And so they said we've got to do something. It's interesting to me that the cities in this time in world history. Many of them would have a leader that we'd identify as a king. And kings are people like everybody else. And that meant that they would from time to time have fights one with another. They'd argue about things. Uh, they could be very petty, and, and uh, they'd have disagreements one with another. But it's interesting that the Bible tells us when these kings in the north shared an enemy, they were willing to put their pettiness aside. They were willing to put their preferences aside. They were willing to come together and say, listen, we may not agree on everything, but we agree on one thing right now. Joshua and the children of Israel are coming, and if we don't stick together, we have no chance. We've got to work together if we want to see a victory come in this place. And so the enemies of God came together the Bible says with one accord and the Bible says they did so to fight with Joshua and the children of Israel now I don't want my life to look like the lives of those who are the enemies of God I hope if someone were to evaluate my life or your life or our church they would say you know what those are people that aren't perfect but they love Jesus and they want to do those things that God would have them to do but there is a lesson that we can glean from the enemies of God in this text you know, sometimes as a church, we have a big calling from God and we'll, we'll need to do some things. And you know what? You have this in you just like I do. Sometimes I can get petty about things that aren't the most important. 
Sometimes I can have preferences. I'm not talking about the majors in theology and what we believe, but I can prefer this or prefer that. And sometimes when we've got a community in need of receiving the message of salvation and they need to be receiving the love of Jesus Christ through the body of Jesus Christ here in this place, sometimes when we need to be working together in one accord, we can degenerate into a group of factions fighting for time and preferences and and pettiness. I don't want to live like those that oppose God's people in the Old Testament, but if there were anything we could learn from them, it's the value of knowing when to come together and saying, hey, if we're going to see victory, we're going to have to do so as a team. Let's serve together. We look at Joshua and the groups are coming and and the deception was was emerging and, and they wanted to fight. Joshua was learning this. Just like failures need to be responded to in the right way, so does success. And he was learning that success brings some things into our lives. Let me tell you today what success will bring into your life. If you have your notes nearby, let's consider together the first thought. Success brings real enemies. Success will bring real enemies into your life. Now, I don't want to make anybody feel bad today, but the fact of the matter is if you succeed wildly, somebody will be jealous of your success. Somebody will be bitter that it was you that that succeeded. Somebody will try to find a way to take more of what you have or to steal influence from you. And we would think if we just do really well, everyone will be thrilled about it. But Joshua had to understand success brings real enemies. The Bible mentioned this whole group, this league of nations in Lebanon, Uh, Against Lebanon, the Bible says, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, they, they all got together and they said, they're succeeding, we are not pleased about that, and so we're going to oppose the success that they're having. One author I enjoy reading by the name of Alan Redpath wrote these words. He said, every victory the Christian wins in his own personal life is an invitation for a full scale attack by the enemy of his soul. The reality in life is blessings and battles always go together. And battles and blessings and blessings and battles. And and it's just a cyclical thing. When we're moving forward in life, there will be opposition. I'm saying today this. Please hear me this morning. If you find yourself in the midst of some struggles in your life, particularly spiritually speaking, that's not all bad. It's not always an indication you're heading in the wrong direction. In fact, it very well may be an indication that you are on the right path. Because the devil is perfectly pleased to leave apathetic Sunday-only Christians alone. The devil, he's not going to waste his time trying to prevent a Christian that never reads his Bible, that never prays that has no interest at all in, 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 in something like a missions conference and, and supporting missions. The devil's not going to waste any time trying to pose a Christian that never shares his faith, that never expresses love to others in the body of Christ, that never goes out of his way to minister to those who are really going through a time of need in their life. Listen, the devil's not going to bother a Christian that's basically doing nothing for the Lord. But if you say in your life, I want my life to resemble that of Jesus Christ, He's going to take offense to that. It's not you that he hates, it's Christ in you. And the more we resemble Jesus Christ, the crabbier he's going to get with us. 
I've told the story of Lisa and my adventure as we moved out to this area to start the church. I've talked about blown up engines and blown out tires and the difficulty we faced. And, and I remember sitting on the side of the road uh, beside Interstate 40 on the way out here from Tennessee and literally laughing, thinking, you know, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And that was not an indication that we were heading in the wrong direction. We were able with joy in our hearts to understand we were trying to do our best to faithfully pursue God's will for our lives, but there was someone else who wasn't happy. We were trying to follow God. And I want you to know if you're seeking in your life to do what the Lord would have you to do, and if you begin to experience a victory, you begin to experience a, a degree of success, understand it will bring real enemies at times into your lives. And one of the great enemies we know is, is, is Satan, and, and, and there's other types of opposition that will come. You see, if we're never experiencing difficulty, if there are no battles, if temptation's not a problem and struggles are absent, if that's you today, can I encourage you to take some time and get alone this afternoon and say, God, you've likened, God, you have likened the Christian life to spiritual warfare. And God, there's nothing in my life right now that resembles spiritual warfare, that resembles battles. God, would you help me to know, am I heading the right direction in life? You know, the Apostle Paul said something that really is kind of hard to wrap our minds around, but it's in the Bible, and we need to understand what it is he said. He said, all that will live godly. So this statement only applies to those who live godly, okay? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution now i understand persecution in this sense was very unique to those first century believers you know thrown to the lions and all the rest but there are pressures associated there are struggles associated with the life that is determined to live godly in christ jesus my wife uh, is a coach that's what she does uh, she, people ask what she coaches now we say everything you know sports she coaches them all uh, she coaches volleyball in the beginning of the school year and, and then basketball, and then she's the uh, uh, varsity coach of, of a high school softball team as well, and uh, she loves it. And one thing I appreciate about my wife, she loves winning. Uh, I've seen her turn over more than one Monopoly boards in our time, okay? She loves winning, uh, and she loves sports, but she loves the kids, and, and she gets it, and, and she makes them better human beings for having spent time with her. She's awesome. If, if I have my facts correct, the year before she started coaching at this high school, and she's been there maybe six or seven years coaching, they lost every game, okay? It's kind of like the girl version of the Bad News Bears, all right? They lost every game. And, and Lisa came in. She started working with them. And you, you know how it is. No, no funding, no resources. And so uh, she would do fundraisers and buy like a pitching machine and get the stuff. I mean, it was like nothing to work with. And, and she made it happen. And she began to develop these girls, and they began to get better. And, and not only were they making the playoffs, they actually won a CIF championship in record style. She was voted by the sports writers in San Diego County as the high school's coach of the year. I mean, it was awesome. What she's done is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, she did a great job, succeeded. But, you know, someone noticed her success. And as a result of the success, they made a decision that this year, her, her high school team that has done so well, it's going to be moved up a division, stronger competition, be more difficult. Hey, folks, listen, that's exactly how it is in life. 
we're wanting a win that's going to put us on easy street and take away all the opposition and all the obstacles. And man, it's just going to be great if I can ever get to that point. And that point is a point we never do get to in life. If that's what we're waiting for to make us happy, just get ready to be unhappy your entire life. The way it goes in life is this. When you get a win, people are going to notice that. And it's going to mean more opposition, more, more difficult situations. Now, I, I try to really do my best as a pastor to pray about what I'm going to share on a Sunday. But when I knew God wanted this to be shared, I spent more time this week praying about how it could be shared. Because I'm not trying to be negative. And I'm certainly not saying don't be successful in life. Of all the people in your corner, in life i want to say go for it dream big dreams but i want to say this in the back of your mind you need to have note to self success will bring real enemies point number one here's the second thought success will bring false friends so you got the real enemies to deal with but there are there are some false friends to encounter along the way in addition to the kings we've considered, we find another group in our reading once we got past verse, verse uh, uh, 1 and 2. We met a group the Bible calls the Gibeonites. And they came to Joshua under false pretense. They acted like they were from a faraway country. They acted like, man, we've been traveling so far to come see you. It was, it was all an act. They brought old moldy bread to make their story more convincing. And they, they came in not to fight like the earlier group, the, the real enemies. They came in under the pretense of wanting to make a peace treaty. Their whole basis was really self-preservation. They did not care about Joshua. They did not care about Israel. They cared about themselves. And as Joshua and Israel were experiencing success, they thought if we could somehow get connected to them, we can, we can then take away from the success they've enjoyed and make a little bit of that success our own. They were kind of like the family members of those that win the lottery. You know, they all come out of the woodwork. Don't forget me. They're kind of like the entourage following around the, uh, the, the, the new professional athlete who just got the big contract. Uh, these people are, are the kind of people that they come into our lives when there's a victory, not to support or congratulate or encourage, but to take from you. Now, giving's one thing, taking's another thing, okay? Sometimes the devil enters our lives as a roaring lion. I mean, the Bible tells us that. Sometimes that's, that's how he opposes our success. We start succeeding and we hear the roar. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant. All right, be sober, be serious-minded, be vigilant. Be on watch. Be on watch. Because your adversary, and that's pretty personal, it's not just the adversary, it's we have an opponent, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour means to make to disappear. That's just what he would like to do to every believer, all right? Now, he can't take you to hell if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, he can. But if you're a Christian, he can't take you to hell. So what he wants to do is just render you useless, he wants to put you in a position where you live for those things in life that don't really matter, that don't last forever. He wants to take you out of living in that realm that, that is pursuing the will of God and, and put you someplace else. Sometimes the devil comes as a roaring lion. Sometimes he comes in guns blazing like it was with the kings that we've already studied. But you see, the devil is, is cunning. In verse 4, we found out that they were wily, kind of like the wily coyote. And we need to remember that the one in the Bible, the devil who's described as the great dragon, he's also described as a cunning serpent. He is a deceiver and a liar. 
In John 8, and verse 44, Jesus was speaking. And Jesus said this, he said, You're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh uh, a lie, he speaketh of his own. Why? Because he's a liar. Jesus Christ wants us to know this about the devil. You can't trust the thing he says. He's not honest. He's not just a liar. He's the father of liars. I mean, he, he, he's a liar extraordinaire. Jesus said you need to know this about the devil. The apostle Paul told us some truths about Satan in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. He said, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Paul said, you need to know something about Satan. He's dishonest. He's a liar. He'll portray himself as a friend, but he is not. He's, he's false. I think sometimes we're looking for the man in the red suit and the horns and the pitchfork and the, and the tail, and that's not at all how he rolls. When we think of the life of Christ, we know that many wanted to take Jesus Christ down. Many hated him. The religious leaders of the day hated him because he was a threat to their way of life, to their power structure, to their financial base. They had a good thing going on. And Jesus was messing it all up by telling the truth. But who ended up taking Jesus down? It was a false friend by the name of Judas. I mean, everybody would have trusted Judas. Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' group of disciples the bible tells us judas had the bag and in fact when jesus told judas in the upper room before the crucifixion judas whatever you're going to do go do it quickly the bible says that none of the other apostles thought for a moment that judas was going to do anything nefarious or or evil they assumed the bible says that he was probably going to get some things ready for this 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 special feast or to give food to those who were hungry he was a false friend he looked at Jesus with the thought, well, he, he's popular. People are following him. Maybe if I just kind of connect myself to him, I'll get some of this good things, some of these good things to come into my own life. A false friend. Now, this can apply to friendship, of course. But the application of the land that Joshua was possessing, the land of promise, the application for our lives is a victorious Christian life. You remember we talked about the land of promise, it, it doesn't just picture heaven, it pictures the victorious Christian life. And, and what I'm saying is this, if we're not careful, as we're seeking to enjoy the victorious Christian life, we'll see the great opponents for what they are, and we'll stand up to the big, the big things in life, but we'll let the little distractions remove our hearts and minds from what matters most. Mark chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible says this. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, I'm going to read on. Nowhere in the Bible does, does God say there's anything wrong with being rich. A lot of God's great servants were very poor, and some of them were exceedingly rich. No problem with riches. But it's the deceitfulness if we think somehow we're going to find what life is all about in that, we've got a problem. So we've got the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in. What do these things do? 
they choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. They choke the word. For everyone whose life seems to have gone down in flames in a huge battle, I can tell you there's many, many, many more who didn't go down in great flames. They just sat real still and smoldered. They smoldered because of a a love of money or a love of pleasure or a a, a person that just loved recreation and they said, I'm just going to live for me, for me. Success is a wonderful thing, but it brings some baggage along with it. It requires some preparation. It'll bring real enemies. It'll bring false friends. Here's the final thought before we're done today. Success often brings self-confidence. Now, I want you to think of this with me. Confidence is the birthright of every Christian. Now, I, I, I wouldn't think for a moment that everybody in this room today is not a Christian, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I am so glad you're here. And, and this study can be an encouragement to you because you can succeed uh, in a non-Christian pursuit and your success will also bring real friends and, and false enemies. And, and uh, I'm glad you're here. I hope it helps you and I hope you see more of what being a Christian is all about. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, I want you to understand this. Our birthright as people of faith is confidence. Now, it's not in ourselves. It comes from our Father. Most of you know I have two daughters, and, and it's a great compliment to me when I'll see them at a moment in time in life where they just, they, 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 they just show a great confidence. I mean, maybe some peer pressure will come, and they'll just slam it down, or something that could be intimidating or overwhelming, and they, they just meet it with, with, with a resolve. They don't always do that, but when they do, it's a blessing to me, because what do we know about children? Their confidence is derived from stability within the home. That's where kids get their confidence in life, from parents that help them develop it. Man, it's a balance. You want to ruin a kid, just do too much parenting. Just overwhelm them, and, and it's not good. Uh, or, or you can just uh, alienate them and, and, and require them to grow up in solitude. That's not good either. There's nothing easy about parenting, and there's never ever in this world among people like us been a perfect one. But when we see our kids have a little confidence, a parent finds great joy in that because that's an indication, hey, we're not perfect, get it wrong often, but we must have done something right. They're standing up. They're doing well. Well, one of the indications that we're growing in the Lord is we have a holy confidence. Listen, Christians ought not go through life with their head down, just feeling bad all the time and feeling like we're, we're on the losing end. That's just not the way it works. The Bible helps us to understand that we are to be a confident people. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, listen to what the Bible says. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Friends, let me tell you something. If we ask anything in accordance with his will, man, he hears us. We can be confident. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible tells us this. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be confident in this life. Christians don't need to be discouraged and head down kind of people. But in speaking about confidence, Paul added some things. In Philippians 3, and I won't take the time to read through all of this. I believe it's in your notes. It may come up on the screens. But, but Paul basically said in Philippians chapter 3 that our flesh is not a good source for confidence Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, he he would say, I I do more than he does. 
Paul said we can't find ourselves to be the source of our confidence or that's arrogance. But when he helps us to understand our confidence can come from God, that leads us to say what we read in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 when he said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now I'm pointing all of this out because sometimes in our life when we get a win, we mistakenly think we did it. You see, the Gibeonites were trying to trick Joshua and trying to trick the people. And the Bible told us in verse 14 that in response to this big charade that they put on, that the men of Israel get together. And the Bible says the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Let me tell you the heart of these of these men in that moment. Oh, God, we got this one. Thanks. I mean, we needed you over in Jericho, and after that little thing at Ai, we needed you then, but we got this now, we're good. We've had a few wins, we've had some successes, we've done a few things right, and so God, I tell you what, we're not going to seek any counsel of you in this situation, we've got this one just fine. Success can lead to failure if we don't remain humble and willing to look to the Lord for our strength. The older I get, the better I used to be at sports, you know. You know how that goes? Some of you by now, you're like Hall of Famers. That's how that's working. In high school, I loved to play basketball. And uh, it was just my favorite thing to do. And I remember we played a game against our rival. Man, we hated this team. And they, they, they beat us more times than we beat them. But it was always a great game. It was always intense. And I remember we played a game, and, and I was just out of my mind. I just It was one of those nights I couldn't miss. It was unusual. Uh, and I just went crazy. I mean, I just seemed to do everything right. I believe I ended up with 38 or 40-some points. And, and it was just a great game. And they could not stop me. And they were all so irritated. And I was having so much fun. And it was one of those days, I mean, the, the hoop just seemed like this big. I just couldn't miss. It was outstanding. And if you play a league game, normally there's two per season. They'll play one at your place. You'll play one at their place. And, and a short time after that game, we were going to play them at, at their place. And, and uh, I was looking forward to that game. And I was just sure, man, it's going to be great. I learned before the game that there were going to be two scouts from different colleges there that night. There was one from Notre Dame. It was a Catholic school we were playing, and they weren't there for me. They were there to see uh, Dan Campaign and Ryan Wessendorf, I think were their names. Isn't it funny the things you remember all these years later? And, and uh, there was a, another uh, a scout from USC going to be there. And, and I thought, uh, listen, they are here for me. They just don't know it yet. I thought, I'm going I'm to tear this gym up. I mean, I wiped the court up with these guys last time we played. This is going to be unbelievable. And I, I was just so excited. And I got out there and, and I was going through warm-ups. And I was feeling it, you know, just a spring in my step. And, and uh, feeling good about it. And the game started. And I think it was the first time we got the ball. Uh, I just decided I'm just going to go ahead and score it. I just decided it like that. I'm just going to go ahead and score it. So I got the ball and I drove the lane. And... Uh, I made the shot, but in the process, I got, I got called for a charging foul. Now, I want you to know, it was a bad call, all right? All these years later, I could still get frosted about that. But it was a call that was made nonetheless, all right? So here's the start to my, my big game, a charging foul. And, and uh, I got ticked off. That's another thing you do when you're trying to find your confidence in yourself. It's, it's when you're prideful, anger's always close to the surface. 
I think it was just the very next time down the court, had another call fouled on me that I thought was a lousy call. And I'm pretty sure it was too, okay. <laughs> and, and that was just the beginning of what would go down as my worst night in high school sports. I think I ended up with four points that game. And a lot, of, it's not that funny, all right. <laughs> and and uh, th- their whole game plan, it was just obvious. I mean, I think their coach probably said, I don't care if we lose, but I don't want that guy to score any points at all. It was the most frustrating thing in the world. I mean, it was kind of like cheating almost, okay? <laughs> I mean, they just played me and, and me only, and, and it was horrible. And I was just sure, this is my game. I'm going to win. The victory's coming. Just get, hey, everybody get a good seat and just watch me do what it is I do, because this is going to be good. It wasn't good. It wasn't good story's been told of a young preacher who was delivering a sermon to his professors to fulfill the requirements for a seminary degree. Now, to people who have any sense, you always get nervous before you talk to other people. It's a great responsibility, but this guy knew he was going to do great. He'd, he'd prepared. He was going to do an outstanding job. He was going to impress the instructors. They probably were going to tell him he was the greatest speaker they'd ever heard, and, and he walked up to the podium, and he mistakenly opened his Bible to the wrong passage. And then he got his notes out and they were messed up and it took him a minute to figure out the problem with being in the wrong passage and, and, and the notes weren't right and he was so dejected and humiliated and there's, believe me, believe me, there's no humiliation in life like royally laying an egg in front of a group of people, all right? And he was just as dejected as he could be. And he hung his head and he walked down the steps, just mortified. One of the professors called him over. He said, if you would have walked up to the platform the way you just walked down, then you would have walked down the way you just walked up. You know, when we get this perspective in life of just, we need God and humility God can work in a life like that. Success, it's really not our idea. It's God's idea. In fact, the word, as we've come to understand, is used only one time in all of the Bible, and God is the one that used it while talking to Joshua, the man we're studying about today. Earlier in our study, as we began in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And God says, and then thou shalt have good success. God says to Joshua, hey, I know something. Success. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you how to get there. Let me tell you how to enjoy it. I am so thankful today that with God, failure is not final because we've all failed so many times. That'd just be the end of it for us. But we have to understand that success is not final either. We've all had that big game, that great night, that moment. Just as we need to handle setbacks in our life with humility and wisdom, we need to do the same when we get a win. The lesson in this uh, this is that we're to be ready. Ready. Success will bring real enemies to your life. That's just the way it is. We live in a culture that just wants to vilify anyone that does a little more than someone else has done. 
Anybody that challenges status quo, it's like, what are you, Mr. Big Head, show off, trying to make everyone else look bad? To, to that, I'd say you succeed anyhow. You go for it. But as you succeed, you need to know you're going to find some real enemies come into your life. You're going to find some false friends. False friends. Not there for you. There for them. Be careful of distractions. And success often brings a sense of self-confidence in our flesh when the Bible tells us to put our confidence in God. Sometimes a win can make us be really arrogant when we have no reason ever to be. If any good things happen in our life, it's of the Lord. Just as we all can relate to times when we failed, we can relate to times when we've done it right. Everyone in this room, look, <laughs> we could all cry a sympathetic tear if one of us told the story of a major, major fail in life because we've all been there, right? But everybody in this room's gotten it right too. And, and I think we need to connect with a message like this. How are you handling the times in your life when you're getting it right? succeeding our father thank you for this study today